All right, we're here, back yet again, the dynamic trio. Um, <laughs> when you said, you know how, you know how when people, uh, when, when people do their intros, they're like, we're out here. You just, you just flipped it. You're like, we in here. Cause you know, did. We, we, are, <laughs> we are in here in our respective, uh, home offices. This is my home office. This is the couch that I work from each day. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> cool. So for the audience's sake, I'm based here in New York City, the epicenter. Um, the world is ending right outside because we're <laughs> during the coronavirus situation. Um, Jay, where are you at? I'm still in sunny Arizona. Very sunny. Mm -hmm. I'm halfway between uh, North Texas. Is that halfway between New York and Arizona? Uh, maybe a little closer to Arizona. Not the geography person. <laughs> I remember Dr. giving me so much crap about my lack of geography knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about that. Um, <laughs> but just so everyone's aware of, of who um, each of us are and what we'll be talking about today, um, we're going to be covering a variety of things. But first off, just want to introduce each other. I'm Michael Navarro, um, host of this podcast interview um, set up and basically the goal of this podcast and show is to help people um, acquire more information knowledge and uh, around exercise science nutrition science and all these different concepts and things um, <clears throat> and also understand how to critically discern all the other misinformation that's coming from them in multiple ways because as we all know especially right now there's a lot of information that's going on but what of it is good and which of it is not the best that you should listen to. Um, <clears throat> I've been studying exercise science and nutrition for a while. I can't say I have a degree, but that's why I have these two on here. So I'll go ahead and let them uh, introduce themselves. Go ahead, Jay. Uh, very short and sweet. Uh, name is Jay. I am a power coach, a bodybuilder, and 100% uh, a nerd. And that is my, uh, my former roommate. Yes. <laughs> Dr. B? Well, I'm Dr. Berger, and I'm an exercise physiologist with the University of North Texas. And I'm not going to tell you how long I've been doing what I've been doing, but um, i got a big birthday coming up this year, so it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> my, my interests uh, involve uh, the science of weight management, whether it's nutrition or exercise. Uh, mode of exercise is resistance training, believe it or not. I know I don't look it, but I like that a lot. <laughs> And uh, I'm just uh, delighted to be back here. I, I read online that I've been dropping knowledge bombs. And so I'm going to, uh, you're going to be dropping some knowledge bombs tonight and all, with all good luck. Yeah. All, all the knowledge bombs will be dropped. I've got the, uh, the fuses ready to be lit. So all we need now is your, <laughs> uh, your, is your fire knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> Jay, it cut out a little bit when you talk, so I'm just going to summarize what you said. Um, Jay is a buddy of mine, <laughs> a former roommate. Um, he is a powerlifting coach, bodybuilder himself, um, probably one of the best people that I've seen who coaches athletes. He has a couple athletes who are also powerlifters in, um, in states, so like state competitions and, and nationals as well. So he also knows his stuff. Um, <clears throat> but Today, what we're going to be covering is some of the um, some topics around the coronavirus situation that's going on, 
uh, things that you can do to stay healthy and also how to discern, like I mentioned earlier, discern some of this information that's floating around, try to, how to understand what of it is credible, what sources to look for. Um, and then there's, I'm sure at some point we'll be, uh, trailing off into some other things that will hopefully be useful as well. <laughs> but That's not something we normally do. We normally stay right off subject. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally don't go off on tangents. <laughs> yeah. Never, not us. No, 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 not at all. That's why our podcasts aren't, you know, an hour long. Um, <clears throat> but I wanted to uh, start, start with you, Dr. B. So uh, when we were talking last night, you were saying how you just returned from Washington, D.C., and you were providing some education information to other personal trainers. So in a way you train the trainers um, on specific concepts and principles and such. Uh, so I'd love to hear one, what you spoke with them about. And then I know that was a little bit, a, while, a little while ago. So in this current climate, if you were going to do that right now, what would be some of the things you would recommend to those trainers and coaches? Okay, that's a that's a great way to start this podcast. Um, first of all, I should tell everybody, I'm an exercise physiologist, PhD. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a medical doctor. Um, I don't specialize in disease transmission per se. So um, my comments and my answers tonight are going to be very limited to you know what I do know. Um, but what I do know is the scientific method. What I do have in a PhD is the ability to uh, ask a good question. Uh, collect data, analyze those numbers, and make some sense out of it. And so I think anybody who um, has uh, good scientific reasoning um, is probably appalled by what's going on right now. Uh, we'll probably talk about that as the podcast goes on. But um, I guess to answer your question about, you know, what would I tell a trainer if I was back in D.C. this week? I was in D.C. when this whole thing was starting to erupt here in the U.S. Um, I, I think that it's really important to always be mindful of the unique needs of your client, uh, some people need to have their hands held, and that's why they're seeing you. They need to have that kind of support and that kind of, um, you know, that kind of social guidance. Um, the other issue corresponds to, you know, just the questions that you're getting from your clients. And so what I typically tell my students and I tell my uh, trainers when I'm working with them is just be very uh, candid about what you do and you don't know. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know. You know, I'm going to have to look that up for you because even the, among the experts right now, um, we're in some pretty uncharted territory. So to summarize, I would say, you know, when you're working with a, a client and you're a trainer yourself, I think it's really important for you to know your own limitations, to know what their limitations are, and then you can write an exercise prescription that's suitable for both of you. And that makes for a more comfortable relationship, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, with, I, I know you, yeah, it's been a little bit since you've personally trained people yourself, but Again, kind of want to ask the same question. Um, if you were working with a individual, a client right now, what would be some of the things that you would share with them either to keep them on track with whatever their fitness goals are um, and also just to what might be weathering the storm in their, in their mind about all of this? Because I know a lot of people right now are dealing with a lot of psychological, you know, on everything that's going on. Well, uh, that's a good question too. So I think... Uh... You know, I, I think the psychological impact should not be underestimated. I mean, people aren't used to this. People, you know, I don't feel comfortable, you know, talking to you guys from three different state perspectives, but, we, you know, this is kind of how we have to do things this, this day and age. So don't worry, heard, I can't yeah, cough on you from the computer, so you're safe. What's that? I said I can't cough on you through the computer, so you're safe. Yeah, okay. I appreciate that, Mr. New York City <laughs> uh, epicenter. 
Um, but I mean, just just to collect just to collect my thoughts on this. I, I know that this is not something that a lot of people would agree with, but I think at the very least, I, I guess I wouldn't go so far as to say stop watching the news, stop listening to the news, but be critical about the reports that you're hearing and the things that you're reading. Um, the news media, it's, it's lacking journalism and it's lacking um, this, this, this desire to inform the public and uh, more to entertain or to shock or to uh, engage the public. And those are very different goals from traditional journalism. So I'm critical of uh, clients who come in and say, hey, you know, I heard this on the news today. Well, okay, you know, that's why it's news. It's, it's a rare thing that happens. That's why we call it news. It's not something that's necessarily going to happen to you. So calm down. Um, but the important thing I think is, um, you know, just when you're working with, with clients is, um, to be flexible and I'm going to draw on my experience with, uh, with healthy air travel to answer the question, because when you travel, you have to be flexible. You don't know if your hotel, well, I mean, maybe you do, but you don't know what your hotel is going to have in terms of a gym. Uh, you don't know how much time you're going to have in terms of your cardio. And so you've got to be flexible. And so if there's one uh, key point that I can get people to think about in this podcast with respect to working with clients is, hey, you don't have access to a weight room anymore. Now's a good time to start working on your cardio. You can be outside, you can bike, you can walk, you can run. Um, it might not be desirable, but there is something to be said for aerobic fitness. So uh, in a simple sense, you know, be flexible, be, be aware that this is something that you've probably seen before with business travel or some other interruption in your life, uh, the birth of a child, uh, you know, new, new work hours at work, at the office, you know, you gotta be flexible. Don't be too hard on yourself because if you are, then, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to lose as much as you think. And you're just going to make yourself, uh, more psychologically vulnerable to all this terrible news that you're hearing about. You gotta rise above it and uh, be flexible to make that happen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, one one thing that you you said um, caught my attention when you said go outside because I can't necessarily go outside right now right especially you know since I'm here <laughs> so not in New York right so for for cardio recommendations or just exercise recommendations in general and Jay you can answer this too if if you have some ideas um, what what are just some general things that you know indoor people can do um, to <clears throat> improve their cardiovascular fitness or even other other areas of, of fitness indoor exercises either of you could take this oh well in terms of cardiovascular fitness uh, you know to be quite honest with you I'm not I'm not really certain what people can do indoors as far as improving cardiovascular um, I mean you could you could take laps around your dining table I guess uh, I, I it seems kind of silly, but it, it'll, you're restricted like yourself, Michael. You're in New York City. Um, they're, uh, they're hammering down a little bit. Uh, the, the going outside, it, they're a little bit more harsher about you going outside in New York City right now. So um, it might seem silly, but I mean, it's, it's, just because you're inside doesn't mean it's, it's not going to gain the same effects that you would if you were taking a 10-minute walk outside right um and so I'll, I'll jump in here real quick then just to share some of the things that i've been doing um something that I, I i like a lot that i've been using is i bought a jump rope uh and now mind you i'm not you know i'm not balling i don't have this big old apartment so i've been able to make it work with the small apartment that i have here 
Um, <clears throat> and, and obviously a jump rope is a, is a great bit of cardiovascular exercise. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Burpees are uh, fantastic. I hate burpees, but also love them at the same time. Um, and then also about a kettlebell. And there's a lot of things you can do with a kettlebell. Kettlebell swings, kettlebell cleans and clean and jerks and all those different things. So um, just a little, a little bit of recommendations there on that. Uh, <clears throat> Not to mention it, uh, maybe this is, this is a perfect opportunity for people to uh, look to our crossfitters because the crossfitters have a, you know, they have fairly good cardiovascular uh, uh, capacities and a lot of the stuff that they do when it comes to their uh, conditioning work, a lot of the stuff that they do uh, is body weight. Um, but you could look up the, you know, the hashtags on Instagram, like for CrossFit, you could look up the hashtags on CrossFit. And you'll see a whole bunch of CrossFitters still getting their Metcon workouts at home with very minimal equipment, sometimes with zero equipment, it's mostly body weight. And they'll do that for short intervals, very high intensity. Um, so that's one really good way that you could increase your cardiovascular fitness is short, high intensity workouts. Yeah, I want to I want to shout out one person too who's been doing a really great job on some of this home fitness stuff is um, former podcast guest as well, Andres Vargas, uh, <clears throat> the Strength yeah. King, former ASU student. Um, he's an excellent just resource for general health and fitness. So um, if if you're if you're looking for things like that, then I would definitely recommend following him, the Strength Cave, on Instagram uh, and all of his other platforms and, and channels but <clears throat> yeah just want to shout him out there so attaboy andres um and you, youtube is a great resource right you could look up no equipment workouts at home workouts and you'll you'll get so many hits right that's that's what the google machine is for you use it that's right uh <clears throat> i want to turn it back to to dr b here real quick so um as we know right with health and just general health and fitness and the more healthy and fit you are typically the less likely you are to contract disease or at least um have a lower severity of you know the symptoms and everything so what um in regards to to the coronavirus but also just general diseases and and other uh issues in general what what are some things that people can do to mitigate their risk of um like through health, through through fitness and nutrition, what are some things that people can do to mitigate uh, their risk for contracting it, and also just mitigating the, the risk or severity of experiencing the symptoms? So, um, as a PhD on this panel, my hands are tied. I can't go outside. I can't do much in the way of inside stuff. And uh, you know, what's how do I how do I deal with this to improve my overall uh, uh, system? So. Um, one of the things I would say, let me, let me start with some basic things that uh, the, the public really struggles with. Um, one thing to think about is um, you need to reduce the number of calories that you're consuming in all likelihood. I mean, if you really are not able to get outside and be as physically active as you normally are, um, I know this is not something that you want to hear, but you probably should take a look at your caloric intake and try to reduce that because you're not burning as many calories as you normally would. Um, think about that very carefully. Um, another one that's uh, semi-obvious, but I think we need to mention, is that if you vape, if you smoke, if you do anything to compromise your cardiorespiratory system, stop doing that now. Because God forbid, should you get sick, 
um, this this COVID-19 seems to influence the, uh, the, the lungs more than anything else. Uh, about 50% of people present with actually GI problems. And so um, I'm, I'm going to be real careful about what I recommend, but there is some studies, there are some studies out there that show that um, consumption of probiotics, prebiotics, um, uh, consumption of uh, high fiber foods will help to uh, colonize the gut with bacteria that might Im improve that aspect of your immune system. So if you're not lactose intolerant and you can handle a little bit of yogurt, um, you might wanna start considering that because um, there is some evidence out there that shows that when you have a, diverse, uh, a diversity of bacteria in the gut, um, there is some reason to believe that people withstand at least GI distress a little bit better. So between the smoking and the vaping for the lungs and, uh, you know, maybe some probiotics, prebiotics for the, for the gut, um, you're at least stacking the deck more in your favor of, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we hope, uh, preventing uh, a disease from progressing or, you know, keeping your immune system strong so that if you do get infected, uh, you can fight it off more effectively. Yeah. How does, uh, if at all, how does exercise specifically contribute to improving your immune system and just general defense against um, diseases and, and other issues? So right now, there's no good answer to that question. Uh, most of the infections that have been studied that I'm aware of involve a study of rhinovirus, you know, the common cold, an upper respiratory infection. And uh, the results that we see are mixed. Uh, some people who um, exercise during a cold report that they feel more comfortable and uh, that, you know, that, that, that the cold isn't necessarily so severe that it's influencing their exercise time. On the flip side, uh, we know across the board that improved aerobic fitness, um, improved neuromuscular fitness, just in general makes people healthier uh, from a cardiovascular disease, a diabetes disease perspective as well. And so the reason why I think that's important is because we keep hearing about how, you know, for 80% of this population, um, it's basically just a cold, and some people are walking around out there with no symptoms whatsoever. We're more concerned about an older, more vulnerable population. So my answer is rooted in just trying to get you to be less vulnerable, and physical fitness can be a very important way of you know, keeping your overall cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory, neuromuscular systems working. And I can't promise you that if you have a healthy uh, you know, systems physiology going that you're not going to get sick. But fingers crossed, if you are healthy, it will help your body to fight off that infection. Because as we've discussed before, um, we are completely dependent on your immune system to heal you. And so any steps that you can take from a nutritional, physical activity perspective, in my book, are probably steps in the right direction. Yeah. <clears throat> For those high-risk groups specifically, um, elderly, people who have you know, conditions and everything, uh, are there any specific things that they can do outside of that or even like recommendations for, you know, exercise for elderly that isn't too severe in terms of impact or anything along those lines? Well, again, um, what I'm going to recommend might be a little unconventional, but um, older people have a more difficult time with sleep. Uh, they often don't sleep as many hours. And so even though it's not really an exercise answer, um, if you are in that vulnerable category, uh, make sure that you're getting plenty of sleep and that your sleep quality is as good as it can be. And for some people, that might be uh, brewing a cup of chamomile tea and, you know, just relaxing a little bit before you go to bed. Turn off all the, uh, you know, the smartphone and the mobile so that you're reducing that, in, you know, influence of blue light. Um, I, I know it's not a really good exercise answer, but I do think there's something strong to be said for improving your sleep quality um, because that, that's been shown to help improve your immune system. Again, we're, we're trying to mobilize your body's natural defenses 
uh, should you be exposed to this pathogen. Um, and you know, so, so there are things like that. I think um, one other thing that I would add from an exercise perspective is um, you know, yoga and Pilates, those all can be done in the home. And there are videos that you can watch that um, kind of reconnect your mind body. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't go so far as to say, well, if you engage in yoga on a regular basis, Pilates on a regular basis, some of these um, you know, meditation-based exercises that you're not going to get coronavirus. But I'd like to think that there is something to be said for um, becoming body aware um, so that you're more, maybe that you're, you're more uh, uh, vigilant about symptoms that you've got and uh, taking it from there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Want to turn it over to two. Mr. Schroth here. Uh, so you're you're in the midst of training clients right now. Um, I know you kind of have a special setup with everything in in the background right now. Um, <laughs> but for those people who don't have access to your um, at home gym, uh, what are what are some of the things that you're doing with them to, you know, keep any semblance of progress moving or even just maintenance of uh, any gains that they have made? Um, and then also how are you just managing their expectations with, uh, with, with progress um, and just being a good coach during this time? Uh, so to answer the first part of your question, if nobody has any access to equipment whatsoever, uh, but weight is definitely uh, my first recommendation. I know a lot of people uh, don't really enjoy just strictly body weight exercises, especially the population that I work with. Uh, they like to lift very, very, very heavy weight or very low reps. So the thought of doing body weight exercises for very, very high reps and um, becoming extremely comfortable with that lactic acid build, not something that most of my clients enjoy. Um, but I tell them that even if you don't enjoy it, if, if the gym is like, or maybe hobby, it's our meditation. It's what anchors us when things in the world are going crazy and things right now are going crazy, then whatever it is that you're able to manage to do, whether that's push-ups and pull-ups, bodyweight squats, it's going to be better than doing absolutely nothing becoming anxious and becoming depressed. Uh, especially, we don't know how long it's going to go on. Um, so I, I tell you, if you have access to not in a place like yourself, Michael, you're not in a city where they don't allow you to go outside whatsoever, you can go to a local place. There are- You can do what? You, know, you cut out a little bit. What is- uh, at, Go ahead, you're good. Oh, okay. Um, so I tell them that if you have access to a local park, for example, here, there are a lot of local parks that are outfitted as many body weight gym. Um, you could go to anywhere with a jungle gym and you've got bars to do pull-ups on, to do dips, uh, to do inverted rows on. And things fairly simple. If, if, you, if you do a, a squat pattern, a hinge pattern, you know, an upper body push, an upper body pull, uh, you do a few sets of those for high repetitions, obviously, then you're good to go. Um, and that kind of goes into the managing expectation part. A lot of my clients are be losing strength and muscle mass uh, throughout this quarantine. And I you know, assure them that they are not going to be losing um, 
much strength or muscle at all if they do something. If you just if you if you quit cold turkey, say I'm just, I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna hibernate and wait until it goes over, and then I'm gonna go back to the edit. If this goes on for a month, two months, then I can guarantee you you're probably gonna lose some strength. But if you do even a little bit, we were talking yesterday, there was, there was a study published uh, or shared by Bradshaw that um, basically showed that the group that they experimented on did, I believe it was one eighth of their normal training volume and they lost no uh, muscle mass. So it's, you know, that data is very promising. And I think uh, that clients, just letting see that you don't have to do a ton to help maintain what they built is very uh, helpful. Yeah, so you, so I just want to summarize what you said because you kept coming in and out a little bit. Um, basically, what you're saying is that this this paper was shared by Brad Schoenfeld, who's a very credible researcher in the strength and conditioning field. Basically, saying that there were there was a group of individuals who were training at an eight. You said an eighth. Of yeah, an eighth. They normally trained at one yeah. eighth of their training at they're training at one eighth of their normal training volume or just the doing an, basically an eighth of the amount of work that they normally do um and during this time period they didn't they didn't see any um was it was it muscle mass loss or strength specific muscle mass this so was uh, they, didn't, they didn't see any loss in, in muscle mass which is a different thing from strength so you could that's a different like, to, to simplify right if if you did eight working steps of bench and you brought that down to one working step per week, that was enough to maintain your body. It's a good way to frame it. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. That's uh, that's helpful. And I, I think, you know, just at least for all the for all the meatheads out here like like myself, um, knowing that I don't need to do fifty, you know, fifty thousand reps of bicep curls because I only have ten pounds available to me. Um, that's reassuring <laughs> for sure. Um, <clears throat> want to change the, the subject here really quick over to um, reliable sources of information and, and credible sources. Cause like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of um, good information that's being shared and not so good. And so I want to give people um, one, just a couple of resources that they can refer to for um, for just general coronavirus related information. And if that's the World Health Organization only, then we'll, we'll go with that. But uh, if there's anything else you guys know of, feel please feel free to share. Uh, and then also just ways in which to, I, I also wanna share with people ways in which to think critically and just give them the tools to do that so they can discern what is good from what is not so good. So I think, um, Dr. B, you might be a good uh, resource for this. So I'm going to go ahead and let you answer here. First well, start. I'll get it. I'll get um, our conversation on this started. Um, it's got to be really tough uh, for people out there to figure out what is and what is incredible. Um, and it's and it's just difficult to find good information to answer questions. I'll give you a, give you a couple of examples of struggles I've had. Is um, I thought, well, suppose I were to come down with COVID. 19 and I and I start feeling symptomatic and I realize you know what I, I'm sick. I need to take I, I need to stay home and take care of myself I found a very difficult time figuring out how long how long does this thing run? Like how, how long am I how long should I expect to be sick? 
Um, you think that for sure we have those numbers. And uh, so I have a kind of an indirect source that suggested from, I want to say it was the World Health Organization that suggested that you're looking at about a two week you know, proposition there. Sometimes it can go up to four weeks to eight weeks or so. And so um, I, I'm very sympathetic with the general public just trying to get basic information about this disease. It's, it's hard to find this. Um, another one that I was uh, concerned about the other day is um, there, there was one where I was just, I was interested in like, um, uh, like, like some aspect associated with um, the, the, the portion of the population that is not symptomatic and um, you know how how would they know if they are transmitting this disease or not if they have if there's no symptoms that are that that you're dealing with, and um, it's just really hard to find recommendations from uh, you know international bodies and domestic bodies here in the U.S. that say you know this is this is these are the kinds of symptoms that you would think of as seasonal allergies and these are the kinds of symptoms that you would think of for COVID-19. Um, again, 50% of the population who gets this disease, it's intestinal, it's GI. And so, um, so I'm sympathetic with the population that's um, you know, questioning this and we want some good answers. I, I've been turning my attention to uh, the World Health Organization, uh, certainly uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, and I, I very much hope that we continue to fund those organizations because um, they're reliable. As a scientist, PhD, um, I turn to them uh, for information as often as I need to. But another one I wanted to share with our listeners is uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, Johns Hopkins is a pretty uh, well-respected uh, research university and hospital system in Maryland. And uh, John Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins, almost from day one, has been tracking uh, the incidences of COVID-19 um, across the globe and across the United States. And um, they've got a wonderful uh, geographic uh, GIS system, inf information from geography uh, that shows um, where this is spreading and uh, where um, some of our more concerning centers are. But the, the key thing that, that Johns Hopkins is doing in real time is they're actually calculating the number of infections. Uh, those reports are coming in from, you know, county medical bureaus across the United States. They're reporting the number of people hospitalized and they're reporting the number of deaths. And uh, when you take a look at those numbers and you divide the number of affected victims from the number of deaths, uh, you should be reassured to see that those numbers are actually quite low. And so, um, as we discussed before, perfectly normal cold and flu season last year, 2018-2019, uh, 32.5 million people suffered the flu. And we're not anywhere near that with COVID-19. And so, um, you know, making use of this information involves going to a reliable source that I think between the World Health Organization, CDC, I think Johns Hopkins has done a great job. Um, th those are some pretty good sources that you can start with. Cool. Uh, and then in terms of, as we've seen from, you know, looking on online, Instagram, whatever it may be, um, other social media sources, there's unfortunately not just the CDC and the World Health Organization, Johns Hopkins, posting content about this virus. There's other places that we may not know, but are saying promising things like drinking, this is just an example, uh, drinking apple cider vinegar kills off the virus. That's not true, please don't do that. Um, <clears throat> but with someone who, who doesn't necessarily have a scientific background or just, yeah, someone who doesn't have a scientific background may not be able to critically analyze something from, from good to not good. So. Can you, Dr. B, um, share some ways in which people can um, 
you know, critically discern, discern between uh, credible and not credible? What things to look well, out for? There's a, there's a wonderful book that was published in the 1950s uh, by Daryl Huff, and it's called How to Lie with Statistics. And, uh, you know, that book is probably $3 online. You can buy it. And uh, there's lots of examples going on right now about people just lying with statistics. And so one, one, one example of this is, um, you know, when you take a look at some of the maps that I've seen that show uh, the incidences of corona, uh, uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 in different, in different parts of the country, it's, it's, it, it maps perfectly to the population. So New York City, our most populous city, Los Angeles, our second most populous city, of course, are going to show high absolute rates of infection because that's where the people are. If you take a look at explain uh, just the difference between absolute and relative really quick. Yeah. So if you if you have a state that has 100 people in it, and you've got another state that has 100,000 people in it, and you've got six people infected in the 100 state and six people infected in the 100,000 state. Well, you have the same absolute number of cases in both states, but you're dealing with a small state versus a large state population. That could tell a very different story if you take a look at the relative values. And so when we see that coronavirus is so prevalent in the state of New York, the geographer in me, and, and, and people should know I've got a Bachelor of Science in Geography, just has to laugh because you're also one of the most populous states in the United States. And so what you want to look at is, the number of incidences in your state relative to the population that you've got and not necessarily rush off to North Dakota where it seems like very few people are infected. There's also a very small population in the state of North Dakota. So um, this, how to lie with statistics is really coming to true life uh, for me as a PhD because I'm seeing examples of language that's being used in the media, um, soars and skyrockets. Well, if a state has one COVID patient and the next day that state has two COVID patients, they've just increased it by 100%, 100% increase in the state. <laughs> Let's calm down here right. because you, you need to think about this, these numbers more, uh, more carefully. So, um, you know, I wish I could advise our listeners um, of some, uh, you know, some, you know, tried and true uh, source of information outside of World Health Organization, outside of CDC, um, you know, there's some, you know, good uh, county uh, agencies that are basically um, relaying information that they're getting from their experts. But, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like anything else that we've talked about in the past. You know, if, if an outrageous claim is being made, um, COVID-19 virus can make it 27 feet, and that seems to make the news. You know, when I encourage people to be critical thinkers about this, if it seems like it's a pretty broad statement, if it seems like it's a pretty grand thing to say, uh, it, it probably isn't going to stand up to scientific scrutiny. So just be careful about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The way, the way that I approach it is just, if it's too good to be true, um, one, it's most likely not true. And then two, just before you, you jump to the conclusion that it is true, just put your thinking cap on, do a couple of, you know, Google searches and just a little bit of research uh, on the opposite of whatever it's, the thing is saying. So going back to my dumb apple cider vinegar thing again, um, <laughs> if, if one, you know, news organization is saying apple cider vinegar cures coronavirus, um, basically Google the opposite 
into your into your you know your Google search. Um, apple cider vinegar does not cure uh, coronavirus, and you're going to see articles for the same exact thing. So um, <clears throat> it's it's got to come from credible sources, and news organizations historically are not good uh, organizations for um, disseminating scientific information. And actually, want to talk real quickly about that in terms of um, epidemiological studies, because that's those are usually the studies that make headlines for the wrong reasons. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to you again, Dr. B, to explain why that's the case. Well, I, I mean, I'll just give you a quick answer. Epidemiologists, um, the, the, the function that they have in science is to look at relationships. And they play a very important role in science. They look at relationships. Um, you know, every time I fill in the blank, uh, this happens. And so they're looking at relationships. Um, what science has a, a bigger challenge with, what science struggles with, is cause and effect. Um, we look at statistics and we look at relationships and we draw very tenuous conclusions on the basis of the data that we've got. We don't do a very good job in science um, of establishing uh, cause and effect. And so um, it's great work that these epidemiologists are doing to take a look at the various relationships that we're seeing. But the, the full story of COVID-19 is not going to be told for a long time. And so, um, yeah, you know, we've got to trust the experts and we've got to listen to what people say. But uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that if it seems like it's too good to be true or if it's too grand, um, you might want to tune that out. And again, I'll say the same thing that I say all the time. Um, it, something doesn't make the news because it's ordinary. Something makes the news because it's extraordinary. And so don't let yourself get fooled or in, don't, don't put yourself in a fearful situation. Don't get scared um, about what you hear on the news because it's news because it's something that doesn't often happen. And uh, the likelihood of this happening to you needs to be tempered by the fact that, um, you know, you've got this relationship with the newscaster. You always check in with that particular site for information. Just relax a little bit. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I wear contact lenses. I wear uh, rigid gas permeable contact lenses. And it made the news a while back that um, this uh, man in Chicago uh, took a shower with his RGPs in, his contact lenses in, and he got an amoeba in his eye and it uh, made him uh, blind. It affected his uh, vision. And I went to talk to my optometrist about that. And I said, well, you know, I wear my contact lenses in the shower all the time. And he's like, well, yeah, but, and then he fills in the blank with all these contingencies that these people are doing that cause this problem. Well, no, no, none of the journalists, quote unquote journalists ever told us the full story on that. It was just so sensational and so, um, so uh, uh, intriguing that this thing happened to this guy that they rushed into the news without any facts about, well, you know, um, were you predisposed to eye disease to begin with? Um, were your contacts clean? Did you, you know, was the water sanitary? A bunch of other things that are going on. So I got scared about something that was so rare that it made my optometrist laugh. Yeah, and just want to touch real quickly, all those things that you're talking about, was the water clean, was the, were the contact lenses clean, all those things, those are what are called confounding variables um, or externalities that can't always be measured, so to speak, but they have an effect on, you know, what the issue could be. So it could be a number of things. Just because it happened doesn't mean it's the contact lenses that are carrying these amoebas, for example. And, and even if it is, and it reminds you to be more careful with your contact lenses and clean your contact lenses, maybe they served a public service that way. 
But um, if it just scares a bunch of people, I'm not sure that that's really good, responsible journalism. Or you could just wear glasses. <laughs> I like my glasses. I like my contacts. Huh? I like my contact ones. All right, whatever. Well, we'll get you some glasses one day. Um, I want to see Grandpa Burger, but want <laughs> 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 want to talk about um, just one more piece of of what people use typically as evidence, which is anecdote um, or basically taking a story that you hear and using that as truth, um, which unfortunately a lot of people do, and we've kind of seen this recently with the uh, hydroxychloroquine um, and in regards to that case in Arizona. So Jay, can you talk, just describe what happened with that case in Arizona um, and why, you know, not why that happened, but just, uh, yeah, just go, just go ahead and describe the case and we'll talk about it further. So apparently there was, um, there was an old couple in Arizona and uh, the wife was listening to uh, President, uh, one of President Trump's uh, and um, they were, you know, he was talking about uh, the hydroxychloroquine, which it has been anecdotally referenced as um, something that can be used to mitigate the um, symptoms for COVID-19. Uh, there, there are, as far as I know, there has been no actual research done on hydroxychloroquine the COVID-19, again, but hopeful was uh, been pushing for the research to occur uh, for hydroxychloroquine. So he wasn't recommending that anybody take this drug, the medical drug. Well, a lady watching the news just heard the chloroquine and uh, doing chores around her house one day, she saw a bottle or fish tank uh, cleaner with the, one of the ingredients was chloroquine, not great chloroquine that somebody like your physician, your pharmacist would prescribe. She decided to take a tablespoons of this, mix it with it was like some soda water, and her drank it, and her husband died, and she was hospitalized. And she went ahead and blamed the president for all this because she said that uh, he was the one who told her to take the uh, the chloroquine. And then you go back and the, the conference, no such thing. So this is kind of where uh, we end up when you, all you do is take anecdote as evidence. Uh, and even more dangerously is you take anecdote and you take it out of context, uh, which is even more dangerous because you could just walk yourself right into the ditch. That's what happened to this couple. You know, and unfortunately, like it's unfortunate that her husband died, but you know, at the same time, what you did was really, really, really stupid, and you should have known better. Irresponsible. <laughs> Very. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I, I wanted to to bring to bring this up to talk a bit more broadly about yes, the coronavirus. Um, if you hear someone say that this worked for me and I beat the coronavirus, so you should do it too. Uh, which, you know, at face value, when I say that like, like that, obviously it sounds silly, but I've seen many instances, whether it's with this virus or with people trying to make progress in the gym or with weight loss, they hear someone say, or they see an Instagram video that says, hey, um, you know, my biceps grew this much size or my butt got bigger because I did this, so you should do it too. 
they do it and it doesn't work, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm just not a big fan of anecdote. And I think it leads a lot of people to waste time, to waste money, um, and to also, even in this situation, to, you know, to mess with their life in, in, in this case, even the husband died because they, they chose to listen to anecdote before more evidence and research was, was presented for the hydroxychloroquine. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying anything about who they are as people, but, um, anecdote is not a good uh, basis of evidence to, to rely on. So if someone tells you this worked for me, um, I wouldn't directly just do what that person said. Any other thoughts on, on anecdote from either of you guys? You know, I think, like, I think using is, is okay. But we were talking about yesterday, when you talk about the totality of evidence surrounding the subject you're talking about. For example, in our, in our field, the health and wellness field, and Dr. D. a lot of the research that, that has been done and that's being done, a lot of it was based on, on anecdotes. It's right. just that we have the capability to actually carry out research for specific subjects. Like Arnold was talking about giant sets and drop sets back in the day, all of that stuff was anecdotal. And if we just totally dismissed that and none of our exercise physiologists decided to go in the lab out, we would have known that these strategies are actually effective. So I think anecdote has a place, but I think you should you should take anecdote and the totality of evidence are so we can't just use anecdote to say that it works without considering other variable besides so i think it has a place but you shouldn't use it as a standalone yeah almost asking yourself okay maybe it worked in spite of what you were doing so what were the other things that may have contributed to that you know what i mean um so just another way to to think about it um <clears throat> we're running up on pretty much covered the majority of the things that uh, at least I wanted to cover, but I know Dr. B um, had just one other thing that he wanted to share. And so I told him I would give him an opportunity to share. So um, go right ahead. I don't know what I'm referring to, but. I, I do. And um, you know, without, <laughs> without um, preaching, I, well, I'll start by saying that tonight I made, um, I got some ground beef and uh, I made a juicy uh, Swiss cheese burger. And I had that with some potatoes and some steamed broccoli. Did you get mushrooms? Did you uh, steam some mushrooms? Or not steam, but. Uh, Is it? A, please tell me it was 85.15 or 80.20. No, it was 85.15. <laughs> right, if you told me 99%, you're cardboard. <laughs> no. Um, last week I got the ground turkey. Uh, this week I got the beef. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not vegan, I'm not a vegetarian. But I think it's worth noting before we finish up that uh, th this virus, supposedly, if it's a virus that we're dealing with here, um, came from uh, the animal king, came from animals and uh, leapt in these wet markets uh, from animals that are being sold as meat uh, to human beings. And uh, if you take a look at these wet markets, uh, certainly some pictures came out of China uh, where in, the, in this province where this virus began, um, they're disgusting. 
And, um, you know, there are live animals uh, right next to slaughtered animals uh, that meat is not clean or sanitary and it's being weighed on a scale, um, delivered to the customer, and then another round goes. And it's, it's so obvious when you take a look at this market that um, it's just a cesspool of disease just waiting to happen. Now, maybe they've got uh, immune systems in those, those villages that can handle stuff that I could never handle. But um, I am very pro-animal uh, rights and very pro-humane um, treatment of animals. And I do think that when we analyze what happened here, um, we've got to go back and take a look at some of the horrors that we see in these wet markets as being the source of um, this mutation or of this virus. And uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat meat, but I, I do think that if people start to think more carefully about where their food comes from, whether it's tainted romaine lettuce or whether it's you know something that comes from an animal, a beef product or a chicken product, a turkey product, if that's going to make us uh, more humane and more um, uh, more ethical and more sanitary in our treatment of animals for food, um, I think that that's going to be a major accomplishment. Uh, you know, a major um, you know silver lining in all this suffering. But but I was I was saying to my students the other day. Uh, you know, nature may be playing uh, its revenge on us, and uh, we need to take this very seriously. Yeah. In terms of food safety, how, are, are there any, like, whether it's certifying bodies or stickers on labels or anything that show that this is a reliable source of food where, like, the, the sanitation standards are high uh, and, and anything along those lines? Well, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to eat something, it's not going to be from one of those wet markets. It's going to be from my supermarket uh, here. But, I mean, it's a good question to ask because even among those of us who, you know, purchase our meat in plastic wrap and, you know, under USDA conditions, um, we, still get, we still are in trouble. You know, we're, we're still struggling with how to keep our greens clean. You know, uh, whether it's um, romaine lettuce, and there have been some outbreaks with other, you know, green leafy vegetables that we encourage people to eat, um, we still see some contamination occur um, throughout the food supply, throughout the food chain. And, um, and nobody wants to get sick. And uh, some of the consequences are minor, and you might not, you know, you might not make the connection, but some of the consequences are very major. And so, uh, again, just repeating kind of a, a plea that I've got to people is to think carefully about where your food comes from. Um, because if we're not careful about this, um, you know, this year it's going to be COVID-19. Next year it could be something else. And, and we really need to stem uh, the origin of these pathogens, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, that's everything for me. Do you, either of you guys have last words or anything else to share before we, uh, before we finish up here? Dr. B took a drink of his... Um, seltzer water so he's he's good to go i assume Mike, michael is michael is asking me and jay if we have any last words as we discuss covid19 i don't like the wording of that <laughs> <laughs> i told you i can't i can't cough on you from via zoom so you're safe i don't know uh, i heard I, I heard that they can spread these germs can spread through smartphone use so i'm going to be careful Oh geez, now that's that's, <laughs> that's the one thing that people are gonna get from this now. Like, oh, I use my smartphone. You know, I've been I've been a lot more diligent about wiping my like wiping my surfaces, wiping wiping my phone. Uh, my my hand washing hygiene has definitely improved. So, you know, 
I mean, are you guys at the point where you're wearing masks and gloves? No, in Arizona, thankfully, it's uh, we're definitely nowhere near the severity of cases as in New York. Um, so, no, uh, <laughs> we have we. You know, some people are taking the recommendations to start wearing face masks, even if it's like, you know, like a scarf around your face, uh, but. You know, whether whether it's um, because we're not as affected, um, you know, pe pe people aren't, you know, face masks religiously here, so. Yeah. Well, I haven't donned the face mask yet, but I have, I, I did wear gloves today to, um, to get a protein shake at the little store that's connected to my apartment. So uh, if that tells you anything, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Um, okay, well, it sounds like we're all wrapped up here. So thank you both very much for taking the time. I'm excited to have you all back here and talking to me because it's been so long. Um, Jay, do you want to tell people what do you want to say where people can find you? <laughs> where, where, where they can find me? On your Instagram and social medias and stuff. Okay, because like I can't give my address, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, you can because otherwise all the meatheads are gonna come to your to your apartment because they see the bench in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had to be a little bit more strict with the uh, <laughs> with, uh, with the appointments actually because I had people, you know, I'm telling them, hey, you, have, you set an appointment for eight. People are coming in at eight fifteen, and they're like, I don't have time. I'm like, you're an eight. You just lost me. So I have to be a little bit more strict with the people um, coming in, uh, basically being punctual because <laughs> we're getting more and more, I'm getting more people and I can only do one on one. It's like yeah. only do three clients at max a day, you know, because I get home very late. So it's like an eight o'clock appointment, a 9.15 appointment, and a 10.30 appointment. And that's it because I have neighbors. It's a residential area. I can't have people dropping the, you know, 600 pounds on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and waking up and waking up the neighbors and right complaint so it's so where can yeah. people find you he didn't answer that oh uh you can find me at agent underscore j troths you see my little name right there on the bottom left of my screen you so. just agent underscore j s c h r o t h on instagram agent underscore j Shroth. Awesome. Yeah, last name. Um, Dr. B, I don't know if anyone can really find you because you don't have anything. I've been trying to get Dr. B to make any kind of social media for years now. Uh, I think he's finally making a LinkedIn page. So if you want to find him there, you'll be able to find him soon. Um, but he doesn't seem to be in any hurry to do that. So I don't know. <laughs> Nobody so. will help me. I keep asking. Nobody's going to help me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I hope that's sarcastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I mean, you're you're at home a lot more. Maybe this is the time. Even if it's just an Instagram page, talk to me. I, I don't think you necessarily have to mess with Twitter or Facebook, but I think Instagram would would be a very good platform for you. I, I think you have a lot of good, good information. Everybody wants to see you post a selfie every morning. Yeah, and I think people oh, would be okay. very. I, I think you should definitely at least consider an Instagram. Page. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. You can find me uh, on the IGs at Mikey underscore Ernesto, E-R-N-E-S-T-O. Go to the website, agora10.com, A-G-O-R-A-T-E-N.com.
Thank you for listening to the Agora podcast. I know I didn't say that at the beginning, but um, you can find the podcast at the website as well. All right, everybody, we're signing off. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, wash your butt, do all the things that you should be doing anyway. See you next time.